welcome back to the Pause Reviews Podcast, the podcast where Tim and I watch a bunch of stuff so you don't have to, and then maybe want to later. <laughs> As always, yeah. I'm your host, Frank. This is Tim. And I am so, so thrilled. We have a special guest host this week. We are joined by Christoph Zajek Denik, host of the I'm Kind of a Big Deal podcast. Christoph, thank you so much for joining us this week. Oh, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for having on the show, uh, having me on the show. I should be giggling more. Because Tim was giggling so much when he said his name. <laughs> I want to be giggling too when I say mine. Totally What's threw up, me off. Christoph <laughs> So, well, to be fair to Tim, it's a recent shift. I used to say, joined by my co-host or my trusty co or whatever. Yeah. But recently I'm like, bro, you're you're a full year in. Like, you right. need to just say your name. We're both hosts. Well, then we got that little workshop intro thing that we're working on. Oh, still, it I is keep, a work in progress. I when that's coming out. So, uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> totally, I was like, what's my name? I don't know. Hey, this is my second full week back at work. And today was the first day that Carissa went back to work. So I got up this morning. I worked from like 7 to 10. And then I had the baby until 5. And then I went back to work for a little bit while cooking dinner. It's been a thing. <laughs> it's been a thing. We're just lucky to have you. Yeah. Tim, how's your plate, man? Is your plate full? Overflowing? <laughs> what, would you, what, what, what level is your plate at the moment? This is day one, and I, uh, I'm i ready to go to sleep. You know, that's why this, you know, a beer is the perfect way to stay awake for a couple more hours, right? <laughs> Nailed it. Good, good on you, man. You deserve it for sure. <laughs> Christoph, man, tell us a bit about you. Uh, kind of a big deal podcast. Tell us about that. Just give us a little background. Yeah, man. So Frank and Tim, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Pleasure. My name is Christoph. I am, um, I'm a little person. I'm four foot four inches tall. I have a rare form of dwarfism, uh, which is called cartilage hair hypoplasia. And I have a weird life. I'm currently living in the mountains north of Los Angeles. And man, I've done so many different things in my life from being a rock and roll drummer to a TV producer to working as an actor and a stuntman on movies. I'm a surfer. And I also produce a podcast called I'm Kind of a Big Deal, which is such a huge turn for me. Um, you know, three years ago, five years ago, I wasn't into talking about my dwarfism and really being vulnerable and open and having uh, conversations with people and about people that are like me, that are very different from a lot of other people in society. And I'm having so much fun with my show. I'm on my second season of the show right now. And yeah, I'm cranking out episodes and it's, it's so awesome because I'm having these conversations that are really meaningful and People sometimes get emotional. People are laughing uh, at really dumb stuff that happens because <laughs> dwarfism is a weird experience. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. And, uh, and I love it. And, you know, I appreciate you letting me spread the word on your show because the more people that I can um, open up, have their eyes opened up to dwarfism and and not be afraid of little people and not be, um, w wanting to keep their distance and inquiring and, and introducing themselves. It's, it's such a huge step and it's really important for, for people in the dwarfism community and average height people just out in the wild to, you know, think of us um, because we're, we're in your world. 
You know, so I got to say, man, if first of all, to hear you say that talking about this and talking with people, um, that that was outside of your wheelhouse, that was outside of your comfort zone, comes at a total shock to me because, you know, my our experience, you and I, is essentially through the podcasts, right? Like, you know, we met through yeah. uh, podcast movement, but then I've just kind of, quote, gotten to know you by listening to your show, and it, you are so it comes so naturally to you you it feels so authentic and comfortable that to hear you say it's out of that zone for you is baffling to me because you were made for it man oh well thank you so much <laughs> i mean I, I you know it's fun that's what it is and and i've realized that i've always loved people but i really like to just dig in and get to know people and, yeah. and get to the the stuff that is a real connection because and and I, I guess I've just suppressed this in my life for a really long time but mm. I love that and I've, I've I guess I've always kind of craved that and so I'm so happy to hear that you feel it comes out in my show because that's what I really want you know I don't want it to be a clinical you know schooling of dwarfism this isn't a medical class this mm. is a this is a social class that has some medical mm -hmm. aspects to it as well because that's my life that's a lot of other people's lives with dwarfism and damn stuff is funny sometimes and you gotta laugh at it you know like i yes. do some really dumb stuff in my life and <laughs> my guests have also made mistakes in their lives and we talk about it and that's where we get it like there are tears of from struggles and there's tears from success and and stuff that's funny and that's what i that's what i love man it's it's really cool so yeah thank you uh, to both of you for helping me support this show because I, I really want this to go as, as far as I can take it. And I want to just share with people and, and give them the opportunity to hear the voice of someone with dwarfism and just think about somebody else's life uh, that you might not have before. Yeah. That's, that's the really interesting thing about podcasts to me. I think that it's this byproduct now that we're seeing as this evolution changes, you're starting to see communities build up around these podcasts. So it's, it's not just, you know, the episode that comes out weekly or biweekly, it's the Facebook groups that are started uh, by the listeners, right? So they can interact. I'm a part of a couple from the iHeart uh, network that, um, you know, it's, they, we talk about stuff within the realm of that podcast, but then it gives the host ideas, right? About things to talk about later. So all that, that byproduct of that, that bringing people together as listeners, and then they have an outlet and connect with people, whether that's, you know, through the social media or whatnot, it, it's really cool to just kind of throw that out there and then have that, you know, kind of kick back and then bring people together from all over the world. You know, it's just this bigger, um, far reaching thing that I think people are just starting to really get, you know, understand what, what's happening here. So. I mean, we were talking about new technology showing up all the time. Like, I'm still grappling with like making sure I'm using the stuff from two years ago in the right way. <laughs> and it's, yeah, but those communities, they're there and being able to interact and just, and a lot of people, I've been around a lot of people that say, oh yeah, this is my thing about whatever it is that is their thing. And I was never really latched on to whatever other people were latching onto in those ways. I didn't see it for me. The podcasting space, I, I'm kind of loving this. It's really great. I love interacting with you guys 
seeing seeing you hearing the voices and then putting shows out where people can just listen to a voice and you know you can sit on the couch and just listen to it i have fans of my show that they literally show shut off all of the lights in the room lay on the couch and listen to my episode or there's people that are like carrying their kids around and driving in the car and finishing their errands and stuff like that it's like yeah i you're you're all valid and you're all involved in this community and i love that yes it's such a pleasure for us to have you here and you know full disclosure i mean we're huge fans my wife is a huge like we listen regularly and the show is fantastic i urge everybody to go to listen to like it to subscribe to share it because you know you're gonna learn so much you're gonna hear some amazing stories not just from christoph who as he told you has like we talked about tim's plate christoph can't even see a plate it, there's just it's just fully buried under everything he does and and that gets you know lights get shined on that there your experience you know as a musician as an actor but your guests are also absolutely fascinating people and it's such a great listen uh and like you said man i mean there have been times where i'm just like in awe of some of the stories I'm hearing. Other times I'm laughing hysterically at something that you're recounting or an experience you and a guest have shared, be it on set or otherwise. It is, it's one of those podcasts that has something for everybody in every episode. I cannot, uh, I cannot stress enough how great this show is. And I, I beg any of our listeners to hop over and check out Christoph's show. Cause it's awesome. Where, where can they get it? It's pretty much everywhere you pick up your podcasts. Yeah, I'm on uh, Apple Podcasts and Pandora and Stitcher and Spotify and iHeartRadio and Google and this and that. And that's not a <laughs> podcast platform. But, <laughs> yeah, I, so it just popped in my head. I mean, you mentioned this, the episode about Lauren. Like, where else are you going to hear stories about a bikini-clad woman working in a dive bar in Detroit who's four feet tall carrying a step stool around to serve off-duty firemen and police officers at the same time she's working on Oz the Great and Powerful as a munchkin. Yeah, it's awesome. Like you can't write story, that. I, yeah. You can't write that. It's and 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 she's an actual human who is a beautiful soul and she's hilarious and she's got struggles and she's she does not want help from anyone at all she can get it herself and it's awesome to hear her say that make sure you hop over check out the show i'm kind of a big deal podcast and uh, we'll have links and stuff through instagram and on our site uh, along with this episode so uh, you can hop over there and one click away from the second best podcast you'll ever hear no, I'm just <laughs> i'll take it hey, i will take that <laughs> dang i will take it <laughs> i no, could you guys are awesome couldn't help <laughs> myself so buddy yeah man. thank you so much for the props man i i i really appreciate it nah well well earned and well deserved um so we're gonna tap into a few of christoph's specialities right so you mentioned you're a musician you've been an actor a producer you're you're you've been in the film world and we are gonna marry all of that as best we can to talk about this week's movie which does that same thing marrying a movie yeah. and a musical and all that stuff together and we're diving into edgar wright's uh 2017 hit baby driver so before we get started as always spoiler alerts right we're gonna talk about yeah. the movie we do our best not to like ruin the key elements but 
A, we get excited. We like these movies. And B, some things we just got to talk about. So if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to risk spoilers, pause this episode, go check it out, and then come back and listen. Uh, If you don't care, continue listening. We're happy to have you. Where can you watch it? So Baby Driver is actually available now to stream through television providers on-demand programs, right? So I have YouTube TV. It's available there through FX. Um, Tim confirmed it's available through his television providers. So you can check it out there. I would definitely highly recommend that you consider renting, if not purchasing this movie, because you don't want to risk missing any single bit of this to a TV edit of any kind, be it for content length, whatever, because I feel like almost every inch of this movie is worth watching. Yeah, I I think you've officially turned me into a, a, a snob now where <laughs> what? I see on cable i, I can't oh I can't can't, dude i can't do it anymore. i can't do I, it Frank, you, know. you turned him into a snob like what <laughs> yeah. did you do man I it know. was only a matter of time <laughs> it's like you know movie pops up on cable and like five minutes in i'm like oh they skipped that part oh yep. they snap yep. no i'd yeah. rather just go start it somewhere else and even if it's available to stream like you said i'm like ah, how bad do i want to watch this and then all the time i can't help but think about what i may have missed <laughs> so yeah don't don't no i mean there's some movies you can get away with right like i'll watch steel magnolias on cable if it's on forrest gump sure why not but something like i mean most of the time if it's something i really want to sit pay attention to i can't do it man i can't watch tv movies there's so much in this movie too i mean there's so much in it like I, i i watched it twice and i paid really close attention the first time and i still missed things that i caught in yes. the second viewing because i was like oh i heard that but i didn't see that what was that oh my god mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. that's yep. spot on true especially for this one there's back and edgar wright oh, we'll get into i'm telling you man we'll we'll get on tangents he's brilliant <laughs> at hiding little things and treasures easter eggs whatever yeah. in his movie yep. i mean he did it with Shaun of the dead he's done it throughout his career and and this movie is no exception so let's jump into some of the uh, specs, let's say, of this movie. So Baby Driver, yeah. uh, classified as an action crime drama. I'm going to throw in musical. We'll get into more yes. of that later. Yes. Yes. Uh, it was released June 28th of 2017, rated R, and this one, a resounding success, critically, financially, all of it, right? Rotten Tomatoes, critic mm-hmm. score of 92, audience score of 86. I don't know where the other 14% were and what they were watching but whatever <laughs> it's still pretty good imdb gives it a 7.6 and a traditional runtime you know a buck 55 just shy of two hours and it's not a heavy lift and i find like when you get mm-hmm. to the end I, I could have watched i mean i could have watched another 30 minutes yeah i i agree um i find this interesting because have we come across a movie since we've been paying attention to this that's as close critic and audience you know i feel like a lot of the stuff we've been watching lately is really skewed one way or the other yeah no Um, this one's definitely yeah it's like it's probably the closest the smallest margin that we've seen yeah so that 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 tells you something right there i think uh um if you are still on the fence about renting it do it because Nobody's been wrong so far with this one, I guess. <laughs> That's true. Um, financially, we said it's a success, right? It was made on a budget of $34 million, and the worldwide gross was $227 million. 
So again, anyone just joining us, we talk sort of the barometer is you double the budget and that's sort of your break-even point, um, you know, roughly speaking. This movie obviously made money and, and did and yeah, did very yes. well for its budget. I mean, Edgar Wright really hasn't let you down yet, per se. Um, the World's End is probably the one I, I haven't seen yet. I keep trying to track it down. I have not seen that one. Um, but I've seen everything else, and I, I haven't been disappointed yet. So I think that definitely plays into this. We've talked about track records before, and that kind of plays with the momentum um, you know, and, and how these things are received. And you look at his, his director and writer credits, and they're, they're pretty, pretty spotless. Yeah, and yeah. so... To speak about you know the the production team behind this, right? So Edgar Wright wrote and directed the film, um, and he's known for Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, The World's End. So that was his team up. His collaborations with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Um, he also directed uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the versus the World and wrote it and wrote Ant Man. Um, he left the project, so he didn't actually direct that one, but he did contribute to the screenplay. So you were talking about Edgar Wright's, you know, sort of his track record and thematically tonally, you can definitely see his influence in this movie. And especially if you're a fan of films like Shaun of the Dead, you know, you're going to see a lot of similarities in terms of shots, you know, you know, uh, just the way he's using the camera to tell the story and the way he's hiding elements in the background for you to sort of, like you were saying, Christoph, every time you watch the movie, you pick up on a little, a little bit more each time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's been a while since I've seen any of the any of the other Edgar Wright shows, but to me Scott Pilgrim is sticking out in my head because like yes. Didn't didn't they use mm-hmm. like words on the screen? Didn't they use graphic words on the screen? Yeah, and it was very comic book. A very comic book and at the beginning of Baby Driver, when they're walking, I mean, the choreography is so spot on. But once I realized that lyrics from the song were painted around the set, I was yes. like, where's the next one going to be? Where's yes. the next one going to, what's he going to, how are they going to integrate this? What's going to happen? And I was like, all right, you suck me in. Like, I'm totally into this now. It's great. The rewatchability yeah. of this movie is through the roof, right? Like through the roof. You know, even if because you're just it's a fun watch every time, but you can pick out new little things each time. It's just fun. It's like a little like a word search. It's just like a scavenger <laughs> hunt of a movie. It's such a scavenger hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and then you throw in the the music, right? Like, and we're, we're gonna get deep into this, but I can't ever hear Queens "Don't Stop Me Now" without thinking of Shaun of the Dead, right? Mm. So logically, if you're looking again at these credits and you think about aesthetic elements from all of these, they're kind of all lead up to this movie, right? Like there's just, there's like a culmination in here of of things that you saw in Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, and then the music and, you know, you go back through that Coronetto trilogy of World's End and Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and all the little Easter eggs between all that stuff. this really does. This feels like a culmination of all that. Like, like this movie is not possible without those elements honed in these other movies. Dang, that's a pretty heavy comment, man. That's Bro. amazing. Yeah, Tim, Tim brings the deep cuts, man. Every once in a while. <laughs> so let's dive into the movie itself, starting off with a brief synopsis provided to us by a little, a little website called IMDb. After being coerced into working for a crime boss, a young getaway driver finds himself taking part in a heist doomed to fail. 
I feel like that's is it really doomed to fail? He <laughs> anyways big attitudes, man. Like there's he some really big now that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bats is yeah. a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So something that we haven't really been able to do in a long time. One of my favorite things about the show is jumping into some of the fun facts, background info, little, you know, interesting little tidbits. And every movie we've been watching, while interesting and good in its right, like just didn't hasn't had a lot of that. And and this one was like a treasure trove, man. I had to really whittle it down. It was nuts, the trivia behind this movie. Um, so I do want to highlight a few things that I feel like are pertinent. The yeah. first one, we talked at the top about how this movie, you know, crime, drama, heist, action, all that fun stuff, and absolutely a musical. And a lot of people have debated its status as a musical. Um, if you have any doubt about this movie being exactly that, every script that Edgar Wright sent out was accompanied by an iPod preloaded with songs that they picked that they asked all the actors to uh, listen to as they read the script itself. So this was so cool. for them to be able to understand the tone and, and everything they were trying to set in the scenes. So how is a movie that when you get the script, it comes with an iPod that you listen to as you read it. I mean, music is embedded in the DNA of this movie. It's so yeah. dope. I, th- I love when I read that, I was like, that is so cool. Right. That is, you know, those songs are, just handpicked and perfect for everything and that the homework was done and it's it's so rad yeah so this is interesting right i went to the one place where you go to get definitions in this day and age wikipedia mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. a definition of a musical right Ooh. And so I clicked on musical film and musical film is a film genre in which songs by the characters are interwoven into the narrative, sometimes accompanied by dancing. Okay. The songs usually advance the plot or develop the film's characters, but in some cases they serve merely as breaks in the storyline, often as elaborate production numbers. I see all that being the case here, minus the fact that he's actually singing these numbers himself. Right. So why couldn't this be, you know, a postmodern musical, right? Why couldn't this be a new segue into something? I mean, it works so well that if you remove any of this stuff from it, you instantly lose all feeling in this movie. So you would lose so much vibe if you cut it. A hundred percent. Yep. I mean, if, if you're not going to cut, you know, a song from rent, (laughs) like, you know, you can't cut things from this, right? And have the same output. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, people involved with the project have called it a postmodern musical. And the only hesitance to really dive in fully, and, and even Edgar Wright gave an interview. I want to say it was to GQ. I can't I can't remember. But uh, mm-hmm. in an interview, he said this is very much a musical, and it isn't. His only rationale for it not being a musical is that people don't break out and dance. So... Okay, but in every other way, it totally is, and he's acknowledged it. Everyone has. It's and but, but that's what makes de- it so great. It's even this definition says sometimes accompanied by dancing. So See? I mean, baby, baby dances in a couple numbers. Fully dances. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and he's dancing for a guy in a wheelchair who can't dance. So or or can't. No, no, no. He doesn't appear to dance like everyone else. 
but he's still like a part of the dance. So I don't know. That's two people who are dancing in a sense, maybe. You know what? That's an act. That's an absolute fact. This is and guess what? Debate There's over choreography. There's choreography in fully the driving that is set to music. Oh, Boom. The, and <laughs> and the shootouts. Yep. There. Uh huh. Which was thinking of thinking about editing all of that and the sound design that goes into all that. I'm, I still keep wanting that 34 million to not that seems so low for this movie and i know i i I hope i'm okay to like skip ahead but i'm like chomping at the bit because like i want to do it say i want to say like there's no cgi in this which is so dope that is so cool to me that's it's not it it doesn't have the price tag of computers attached to it. It has mm-hmm. actual stuntmen and actual cars ramming each other and choreography and stuff like that. And that stuff is so hard to do, but it's all, you know, action brain power. And you can tell, I love that stuff wasn't fixed afterward. Yeah. You can totally tell. And I've said it before on the show that I'm, I'm such a huge fan. I mean, that's where we grew up, right? I grew up in that, that, you know, pre-Jurassic Park, you know, you started to see that come in, but still practical effects. But like all my favorite movies growing up in the 80s were all practical effects before this crazy stuff. So like- Get your ideas from Dukes of Hazard, y'all. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you know, Blues Brothers, they wrecked how many cars to film that movie. Like, you know, this, this it, it just hits a sweet spot for me. And this is what a movie should look like to me. I shouldn't be left- you know, thinking about, oh, they're not really acting with that person, you know, or that's really not happening. I can, you know, this is 100% you win me over every time when it's practical effects. I mean, how many times have we watched a movie that, you know, implored early CGI, early effects, and technology, we just talked about this today, technology is constantly advancing, and eventually it leaves the movie behind. Like, how many great movies just don't hold up because they look like garbage when we can see the breaks, when we can see the cracks in what you've done with the limitations of your technology when you did it? Practical effects will always hold up. We talked about it a little bit with John Wick, the fact that all the the gunplay and all of that is practical. Mm -hmm. It makes the film so much more visceral for the audience. It gives it lasting power, staying power. It's almost evergreen because it will always look as good as it does today because it's actually happening. And in an age especially where cars are you know, Tokyo drifting through space and time, like thanks to, you know, like the (laughs) Fast and Furious movies and all this other stuff, like to see real people doing real driving. Um, uh, Ansel Elgort had to do like two months. I think, I think uh, Jamie Foxx did too. Two months of driver training and, uh, you know, and he didn't even perform any of the practical effects, just the driving uh, and to look like a driver. Two months to look like a driver. Um, It baffles me, and I get it, computers cost money, but how is it that it is more expensive to have a nerd like me sitting at a computer making a car look like it drove through something than it is to actually put a human body, you know, in extreme danger to perform the stunt in real life? I'll never get it. I'm so glad they did it, and uh, I mean, dude, let's let's keep stunt workers employed people more yeah, practical effects right I, save I the stunt the person 
since I've gotten into the technical side of stuff with work, I have constantly said I'm in the wrong business because <laughs> the amount that we get charged for, you know, custom code is out of control. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Experience and ingenuity in the moment that you have, you have to have those reaction times be so good. And there's, there's an energy when you do that stuff. I've done a couple stunts and I've driven in a mask around studio city at 3 AM being a demon, like for a movie. Um, <laughs> not for fun. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have, but there's, there's an energy that's happening, you know, and, and stuff comes together. And I think that just, comes through it comes through the screen and it comes through the camera and the and the lens and and i love seeing that stuff um and damn there were some heavy hits yes some some rolls some crazy maneuvers i'm so glad it wasn't um paint painted no absolutely it's so it's just every action sequence every driving sequence is a blast to watch and you're gonna see stuff and knowing it's practical now that you know it's practical go back and rewatch it and just marvel at the precision driving in this movie the the scene where he's going up the ramp and then like bucks the u across that's that's lines up with those other red cars and then goes and then the move he does in the tunnel or in the bridge to to switch spots like a you know like a card shuffle or something you know like find the p or whatever oh it's such a good scene it and the movie is full of that absolutely full of it and that avalanche that getaway car when he comes down there's a skid that he does through an intersection or like on a onto an on-ramp or something like that he comes off this green grass and he just like they i've never seen a car skid that far and then go it was so yes. cool yeah 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 oh oh gosh this movie is fun <laughs> it's just fun um super fun all right a few more fun facts fun fact this is the first r-rated movie to ever be given permission to show footage from a disney movie and they used monsters inc and i love that it pays off in the storyline later on too it's totally. yeah. yeah so totally. i just thought that was interesting yeah, I'd, I'd sort of like to be behind the scenes on that. Like, you know, what is Disney's decision on that? Just That's like, exactly I, I, why it fascinates me. Why yeah, this I'd and like not something else? Yeah, or, or what else have they been proposed, right? Like, what what have they said yes to? What have they said no to? Um, they're infam- infamously protective of their IP. So, yep. you know, it's it's really, really interesting. Well, and especially a movie like this. I mean, the only thing it misses is the sex. Like, it is a brutal movie at times like we see some wild kills but i don't think of it that way but i that does it's all bad guys it's all bad guys yeah you know it doesn't like you say you say brutal and i'm like you know john wick is brutal right if you know throwing back to that again but like i don't come away with this thinking it was a brutal movie right like that's not what stuck with me which i actually think is a good thing in this case i i I 100 agree with you on that my wife loved this movie. If Alyssa likes it, yeah, right, then it exactly. definitely is not too much because she yes. does, she's not about that stuff. Yep, I agree. She's a, I she's say a that gentle. Alyssa has incredible taste in <laughs> all types of media. <laughs> oh, that's such a good pull. Yeah, Alyssa's a huge <laughs> fan of the podcast. I was teasing her today. I said, uh, I was like, I'll tell Kristoff you said hi. She goes, I didn't say hi. And I'm like, you totally did. And I and I was like, I was like, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell him, uh, I'll tell him because, uh, 
I said, I mean, you listen to more episodes of that podcast than you do to the Pause Reviews podcast. She goes, well, that is true. <laughs> uh, who's Hi, the Alyssa. second best podcast now, Hi. I guess, huh? Hi, Alyssa. <laughs> um, all right. A couple more. So the role of Buddy, who is played by John Hamm in the movie, was uh, specifically written for John Hamm, and he is the only actor from the initial table read to actually appear in the final film. All of the roles had been recast multiple times before they settled on the final group, with the exception of John Hamm. They wanted nobody else for that role. This that's, literally blows my mind. That's because me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> The reason it stressed me out is because I had to spend the entire movie convincing myself, even though I knew this was John Hamm, that it wasn't Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Like, Jeffrey mm. Dean Morgan as Negan in The Walking Dead is John Hamm as Buddy in this movie. Right down to the character design, the motorcycle jacket, the shaved head with the slick back on top. Every time when he first came on screen, I was like, oh, I didn't realize Jeffrey Dean Morgan is not in this movie. It's John Hamm. Like, it is really spot on. And so Frank and I were kind of talking about it off air. We sort of looked at when Jeffrey Dean Morgan went into The Walking Dead as Negan, right around the time that this movie was also in production and came out. But very similar characters. Uh, but then to, for you to tell me, like, no, this was always written for John Hamm. I swear it wasn't. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. I feel like I, I totally get it. I think John Hamm just, he brings something. Everything, there's just a coolness, there's a suaveness that I feel like Jeffrey D. Morgan has to really act to do that. And with John Hamford, he's just one of those lucky guys who, he's just always cool. There's a little bit more of a, a goofy undertone with John Ham that works in this role, right? Mm. Like, I, that's, you know, there's a little bit more exposure with him from, from Kimmy Schmidt is like the other big series of his that I'm, I'm really familiar with. So I've seen his, his range from that to something like this. And I think the goofiness is needed in this. And that's what I think you'd be lacking if you went straight with like a, a Negan type character, even though that character works. Well, I think one thing that's interesting too is, is when we learn a little bit about the character, right? He is not a career criminal. He's yeah. a he's a turn criminal like he he was he was a finance guy. He was a normal nine to fiver and made poor choices that got him locked up. And then that process sort of, you know, he now he became a criminal out of necessity. Right. You assume now yep. he's a white collar criminal and he can't get the same jobs, but he's accustomed to the life. And how do you do that? Then you enter this world. So there is depth to his character that we don't necessarily see on screen but yet thanks to john ham and his ability to do that I, I, you say goofiness i think naivety i think you know there's just a subtle there's just a subtle depth to his character in particular yeah. that really is something john ham brings to life i mean he's he's got subtle moves in this though that that hint at um you know him having not such a career life in crime too because yeah. if i i picked up on the very first driving scene the the very first getaway when they got out he's the only one that gives baby a pat on the shoulder like yes hey man like good job i i see you a little bit um you know and he, and he still has to keep up a hard ass look around the, the crew but he does offer up a couple of like you know yo you're you're doing it 
he also he gets a rush out of this right it's it's fun and i think if you were a hardened career criminal you might not still be having fun at this point in your career right like he's still getting off on the fact that this is not what i'm what i used to be doing right they're, almost all of them are having fun which blew my mind because they're singing along to the songs yeah. in the back of the car when they're on their way to do some serious stuff yes. it's really kind of like this dichotomy that's there it's like oh this is really cool oh dang we're gonna go shoot some people and take a bunch of money from the <laughs> bank this is vibe that these people have and i guess that you know that also plays on yeah, they're crazy. They they like the creative stuff in the world and also um you know, they see stuff as their own and they're going to go take it from people. Yes. I feel like we could do a whole episode just on John Ham's character of Buddy. I feel <laughs> like, you know, yeah. because you're right. Yeah. And I wonder too how much of this life that he's chosen, you know, I think some of it is out of necessity. But I wonder there was moments, right, where um what's what's his uh, his girl's name? Is it Darling? Darling, Darling. Yeah. yeah. So there's moments where, you know, Darling is, is talking. She's like, hey, you remember that time you, you know, messed up those guys? Well, Bats looked at me funny. And he reluctantly, you know, there's so much of it where I feel like she's a genuine badass and kind of like a lifelong badass and like born into this world. And yeah. some of what he does is to keep her impressed and around. And, yeah. and then in his alone moments is where you see sort of the real buddy come out where he has genuine normal conversations with baby. Even when he's catching baby, like fleeing the scene, right? Yeah. He mm -hmm. talks to him and he's like, where are you going? What's going? Tell me there's a reason. Like, help me to not think you're doing what you're doing. Where then en enter bats and he is one note, just a killer, you know, like. Yep. And yeah. it's, it's, he is such, he's the best, I think arguably one of, if not the best character in this movie to watch and just try to figure him out a little bit. He's also the only one yeah. that we get the psychological breakdown from, from bats. Like, and I yeah. feel like there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of the other actors who kind of took over roles, uh, Emma Stone was set to play Deborah and then ended up leaving to do La La Land, which interesting that she left to do another modern musical um yeah. but i think the casting of lily james ended up working out a little bit better i think she's better for the part she's very sweet she's very approachable she's yes. very innocent and she and she's trying to just find her young self and I, I i thought she did a great job yeah i think i think emma stone would have been a little too more overpowering for 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 baby in this movie you know i i just automatically think of her in zombie land and it just i i don't think she fits what christoph is saying as that sweet kind of really has to be the girl next door right like mm. i just it works so much better this way i for think sure. of i think of birdman too and mm. she has such a hard life and Birdman, and i think um lily james i think she killed it i think she was great in it yeah absolutely agree i think emma stone just suffers a little bit from just the the thing that comes i mean she is a stellar actor and therefore has yes, been in a right. ton of stuff which means that we that causes us to form 
right, opinions, and we sort of try to, you know, kind of loop them into some of the other roles that they've been in, whereas Lily James is a little less known to Americans, um, you know, if you haven't seen, you know, Cinderella or, you know, the Guernsey Potato Pie Club or whatever the movie is she's in, right? And she's, you know, she's definitely gaining a lot of traction here, but she was a little less known to American audiences, which I think served well for us to not come in with, you know, uh, preconceived, you know, ideas of who this character was going to be. Whereas that may have been something that happened with Emma Stone. It's actually funny you say that because I felt that same way about the character of baby. Right. Absolutely. I didn't didn't want it to be somebody like John Boyega, as you you point out here in the notes. Yeah. Logan Lerman and John Boyega were the top two. Yeah. Like, at, at, you know, I feel bad for John Boyega. He's stuck in that Star Wars universe now. But like at the same time, I don't. He would have been a movie star, right? He would have been a Star Wars adventure guy. And to throw him into this, I feel like you needed somebody a lesser known that really fits his character of Baby because we know next to nothing about him, and I have no no preconceived notions about the actor. And he kills it. And Again, I think he plays off of Lily James really well, where they're just kind of on equal equal level for sure. And they're awkward together. Yes, yes. They're this, they're this weird. They have this weird awkward vibe where it's like, are they going to get together? Are they not going to get together? What is going to just figure it out, people? I gotta know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like it's their first relationship ever. You know, it's yeah. like their yeah. first. It's very Romeo and Juliet too. whirlwind happens quickly doomed to fail like all of that stuff it feels very romeo and juliet to me which Mm -hmm. i dig it i dig it um i I think and so ansel elgort he nailed it he he swoops in and and just crushes uh to to gain this part on a few reasons number one he's trained in ballet so out the gate so logan lerman and john boyega were the top two choices going in and he comes in and he can do the choreography, his little sort of dancing in the street as he's going around and, and make it look very natural and fluid because it is to him. Um, also, they bonded, him and Edgar Wright bonded over a mutual absolute love of music, apparently. And he is a massive, massive fan and just loves all kinds of music. And so I feel like that really set him up for this part. I think one of the reasons everything you mentioned spot on the money i think additionally just in terms of appearance his name's baby and he's yeah and he actually has like an innocent almost and he has yeah. a baby face right i could yep. see why that nickname is attributed to him john boyega has a very mature looking face and physique um even uh logan lerman right he he's always looked a little bit more mature than the role he's trying to play and so I just think top to bottom, it makes perfect sense. And I think uh, the changes they've made are, are killer and just do nothing but elevate the movie. Um, which the last one I would want to touch on, Michael Douglas was going to play Doc. And eventually it obviously gets recast as Kevin Spacey. I think that's a better casting job, but I know Tim has some thoughts on it. Yeah. <sighs> It unfortunately it it's just hindsight being what it is, you know, 2020. I I just felt like I was watching something I shouldn't be watching, right? Like I yeah. just I I hated that I even liked Kevin Spacey in this movie, right? Like he was really good. Like 
I think he was perfect for that character, but I feel yucky about it. Like, I feel yucky that he's the one celebrity interaction that I have in the world. And I feel yucky that I liked him in this movie. And I feel yucky that I keep using the word yucky. Like, I yeah, just you have don't... used it a lot. <laughs> I just, I just it, it, you know, we we're stuck, right? It, it's that great debate of, of any, any sort of media, whether it's music or art, or like if somebody is outed for being a creep or a terrible person or a sadistic fetish cannibal, what do you do with their, their output? Right. Like uh, where I, I just, I don't know where I am in that process. And I think that sort of hurts this movie for me just in that, in that element. Right. It takes me out of it a little bit. Especially because the title of the movie has the word baby in it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. You can have one more. It's yucky, right? Yeah, it's really yucky. No, <laughs> but I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, looking at it from the perspective of 2017, he's fantastic in this role. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, all the actors would talk about when he's on set, right? Jamie Foxx would come to set on days he wasn't shooting to watch Kevin Spacey work because he was just like, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Actually, there's a, there's a joke. I think Edgar Wright used to call those double Oscar days. Anytime that Kevin Spacey and, and Jamie Foxx <laughs> were on screen together, they would call it a double Oscar shot. And, uh, yeah. Right. And so, um, so, you know, you, it is a difficult process to have to to filter what is obviously incredible work with what we know now and and you know that is a struggle but take that out of it for a second yeah. and just to talk about yeah. the the role in the character it's a brilliant portrayal um that does, yeah. that is not meant to lessen the plight because it is it's a struggle i had too every time he's on yeah. screen you're just like man <laughs> you're yeah. just so I, I i had to google when the um, when that scandal came to when it surfaced and yeah. you know, I was like, Oh, it's less than a year or about a year from yeah. the yes. release of the movie. Yeah. It just, I don't know. That's, that's, that is a tough thing for sure. It's going to taint. It taints it for a lot of us. It taints it for a lot of people who are going to watch it, but God, which is a shame because the movie's just so, but we can't punish the whole for the acts of this one. Right. All right. So the last thing I want to say is um, there has been talk forever about a sequel. And of course there. So now Edgar Wright has a script for the sequel and confirmed its completion for the first time in January of this year, that the script is yeah. totally done, ready to roll. And it looks like we're going to get uh, baby driver too. So I don't know. That could be good. That could be bad. <laughs> we shall see. All right, so we have dived into quite a bit as we've talked about sort of our little fun favorite bits. But just to sort of round things out, let's dive into a bit of the movie overall. Um, first thing I want to talk about as an action movie, Christoph, what did you think? Like, take everything out. This movie, based on pure action, did it succeed? 100%, absolutely. I mean, mm. no CGI. It's all metal and glass that's flying around and rubber that's hitting the road. They, they killed it. And I mean, the stunts with the shootout scenes and the choreography with the music in the shootout scenes. I mean, you can't really choreograph those easily, you know? That's really hard stuff to get right on the day. And they, they totally did it. And I, I, I think they nailed it out of the park. Yeah. Tim, what'd you think, man? 
Yeah, generally, I, I yeah. Um, although I'm going to qualify this as I think we've sort of set up already as almost like an action light because mm. I don't I don't come away from this with the body count, right? It's it's a, it's a different type of action, right? We're really focused on the driving a lot of time. We do that that one, you know, uh, scene with the the APD and the gun buy that turns into a, a gun battle. But even that's fairly brief. Um, so there's a couple of the shoot 'em up moments, but it's really chase driven, right? Whether it's the yeah. the car chases or the uh, foot chase, which is also really cool to watch um i surprisingly wanted more drivings and i think frank when you said i could watch another 30 minutes i could have dealt with one more big car chase and it's sort of where i thought we were going in the end that's not how it ends i really thought the 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 foot chase was entertaining and fun at the expense of having another car chase i get it you know right you don't want too much of a good thing um i thought it was fun i didn't quite get it like I can accept that he's awesome at driving, but now he's like really good at parkour too. And like flipping over buildings and stuff, the way that he drives, I'm like, all right, now we're he's like a 19 little... and a half, man. He can do yeah. anything. <laughs> we're getting a little superhero. -y at this point, but like, it was still so much fun um, at that point that like you said, it appealed to Alyssa. I think this is going to appeal to people who, who like, maybe not you know something that's not necessarily full gun battle balls to the wall this is it's a little more toned down in some regards that's why i say action light yeah nuanced a bit i think yeah, yeah action action light is interesting i i would be careful because i think this movie and i think you both sort of nail it how i feel about it right like i think if you are a, a pure blood action junkie this movie will satisfy, right? Like Christoph, yeah. your first your first reaction was like nailed it. And I agree with that completely. I think what's brilliant about the movie is that it isn't exhausting, right? Some full-blown yeah. like just diesel action movies can be like you get to the end and you feel like you just did it. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> "Why am I sweating?" <laughs> so it's uh, and this movie doesn't do that. You can walk away from this with a smile, feeling fully satisfied, but yet move on with your life. And and I think and what's awesome is you almost kind of forget the action and you think about the music. And then maybe you forget yes. about that and you think about the love story or maybe you think about and and what what's brilliant about that is when you put it in again, in the first car chase you're like oh yeah <laughs> like this is right this has all the adrenaline i want without making me feel taxed by it and i think that is a very hard thing to achieve so many movies are one thing or another this movie is very successfully many things and it's brilliant it's like you know it's like that meal that you have where everything works really good in conjunction right so you purposely eat everything like in a certain manner like i'm gonna have a scoop of this we have a scoop of this we have a scoop of this because it's all so good that you don't want any of it to run out too quickly yeah who you telling buddy <laughs> constantly eating a scoop of everything are, are you getting takeout tonight what are you getting for takeout because whatever you're gonna eat it sounds delicious really hungry for whatever tim is gonna have for dinner oh my god <laughs> tim does eat clutch food out of mason jars. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. As I drink yeah, my but, water out of this old pasta jar. Yeah. 
Um, canned, ca- canned cauliflower, man. You know, one thing, too, that I think... So my next question is what worked, right? And I think to, to we've talked a little bit about that. And and one thing, you, Tim, you brought up the parkour thing. See, that didn't bother me at all, right? He was yeah. just mostly running fast. And then, you know, he does a few jumps over escalators and slides down an escalator. Dude, the first... Before the Metro put the nubs on it, I remember being like, you know... 12 and dude, i'm gonna slide down that like it is not out nothing that he does is out of the realm of possibility it's all totally believable and even his driving i'm like i totally i can totally he yes. does amazing things but it seems like totally believable for someone of his skill set um and i think that's something that this movie it it, it achieves mind-boggling practical effects but still staying within the bounds of, you know, you know, real life, right? Like it, it doesn't, yes. it doesn't stray into this realm. You mentioned, you threw out the word there. It almost hit superhero status, but I would disagree with that. Like, you know, I think that's where we get into like the, the fast and furiouses and that kind of stuff. This sure. movie does not suffer that. It feels very grounded, even in those moments of like just mind boggling effects or, or yeah. uh, stunts rather. Sure. What else did you guys? What what else would you say worked? Anything we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, I mean, I there's there's two things I think for me. Um, first would be the comedic elements, right, of this movie because it is it is funny. At, there are some really yeah. funny moments. Uh, I think two of the ones that I, I really come to are uh, when Baby has to take doc's nephew into the post office to case it and you see baby you you like you smell the wood burning right you feel baby trying to get all that information like his brain is working and the little kid looks up from his video game and he's like two employees three cashiers 11 customers 10 cameras you're welcome and you're just like great and then even when he gets back in the car and he has to relay all that to doc he's still struggling and he does like the uh, the kid puts the four over the back of the video game to, to clue him yeah. in. Um, and then uh, the, the chase, the foot chase where they break up the, the team splits and then they end up all getting in the same car again anyway, by just pure luck. Like <laughs> when he it, crashes it, into buddy and uh darling. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, buddy and John Ham's reaction is just like, you gotta be freaking kidding. <laughs> like it's so yeah. good. I, there's just so there are some really good fun moments in this that keep it light. Um, I think the other thing for me is is the the music, right? The music really does work, and it it crosses the genres so amazingly. Um, it really resonates with me because uh, that that first walking to get coffee scene, as Christoph said earlier, right? That scene was killer, and I loved how I slowly realized, just like you did, Christoph, that, that the words are in the scene, right? They're in the graffiti. They're in the names of the businesses. And I was like, damn, I've got this. This is awesome. And to me, that is me. I've done that. I've had that walk, right? I've had like on many occasions, Frank and I, we used to get off. (laughs) Frank and I used to get off on Friday afternoons, two o'clock. We'd be done for the weekend in the summer. I'd go take a walk around the city, around DC. I'd wait for my wife to get off work. I'd walk up to Adams Morgan, um, you know, check out some record shops. And on a nice summer afternoon with the right song on a good mood, I'm definitely walking around the city and I'm sure I look 
just like baby did in that <laughs> that scene so that's killer to me i really resonate with that that just hit home and that just that, that carries through the rest of the movie like i relate so hard to that when he gets in that purple caprice and he can't plug his ipad in his ipod in and he's scanning for something on the radio i will not move the car till i find the right song i get it i'm totally down with that and i love the ipod for every mood if i stole ipods from people i'd probably do the same thing <laughs> <laughs> that's solid tip <laughs> i love it man i love it absolutely so i think for me there are so many and we've said this once or twice already there's so many subtle hints in this movie right one thing that struck to me is uh so you talk about the nephew going into the bank with baby and baby's struggling right that is not a characteristic that we've seen of him. In fact, we watched him listening to music and then when called upon, verbatim lays out the plan and like crushes it. But this is the first job that his heart is not in. This is the first job where he has everything to lose and nothing to gain. He has he's yeah. you know, he's not going to pay anybody off. He thinks he's free and clear and now his world has been thrown upside down. And so his headspace is totally different from what we've seen in this movie and then with that you know so baby is orphaned as a child in a car accident mm -hmm. um and and the accident is brutal and we see it you know yeah. play out i mean it it gave me like i clenched up when i watched that scene of the parents arguing and then boom all of a sudden into the car and in the at the end of the second act into the third act when baby is sort of just bringing down the heist right like he drives full tilt into the back of a truck to kill oh, bats yeah. and ruin but like for him that's everything that ruined his life his ears yeah. are destroyed all of that stuff so he like relives his worst moment for this moment and and it's yeah. just these little nods to things that you've been watching throughout the movie paying off constantly is absolutely brilliant and something that works multiple times and and gives it that rewatchability there's so so many subtleties so much nuance in this movie that you wouldn't expect in just a purebred action movie mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. yeah for sure i i agree i think that i didn't really think about him ramming uh yeah himself into the back of the truck but that's mm -hmm. such an incredible thing because he hesitates there for a while and he realizes people have died like this before and now i have the chance to kill somebody doing this man great great uh callback you know that's that's incredible yeah he they um they crushed it with that they crushed literally. it literally yes. <laughs> um this the stuff that i think worked so well in this movie um they're kind of the little things that are really big in my eyes the musical choices are so good just all around when he put on john spencer blues explosion at the beginning i was like i forgot about john spencer blues explosion i haven't listened to that band in forever i can't wait to listen to this song right. and that was that as soon as that came on i was like well i'm not going anywhere now i want to <laughs> i want to watch and listen to this because this is this is awesome i was so much more into that and i mean some of the funky stuff was so cool and then you know there's some um all the tie-ins with the baby songs and stuff and and mm -hmm. deborah and flea is in this movie yes. yeah he is there's a couple and big boy is in it um there's a couple of cameos of musicians oh yeah that's right yeah 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 
And what was cool about like me watching it with Flea is like there are so many amazing base beds that set up the mood in certain scenes. And uh-huh. I just thought that was really cool that there's all these really cool like bassy tracks and and like double bass. And it's not, you know, like electric bass or stuff, something like that, but there's these really like um not so much funky, but just like jazzy or moody mm-hmm. pieces in there. And I, it was really fun watching him be some slimy guy on a, on a, on a bank heist. And then can I share my favorite quote of the movie? Please. Yeah. My favorite quote of the movie comes from Jamie Foxx's character from Bats. And he says, not groovy, JD, not groovy at all in the car. And I thought that was so light and deep at the same time and it was hilarious to me that like not groovy not groovy at all (laughs) dude so awesome awesome tidbit with jamie fox so edgar wright apparently is notorious for nixing any mention of ad-libbing but jamie fox was allowed to ad-lib multiple scenes and nice. and one of them so I, i'm not positive i can't say positively that was one of them but one of them is when they're in the diner and uh and darling does her you know monologue of how intense yep. like how badass buddy is and then he starts coming goes whoo that's some oscar shit right there like that's he totally ad-libbed and so it brings i i totally agree bats is one of the characters i absolutely love to hate Every time he opens yeah. his mouth, it's brilliant, oh but he's so awful at the same time. And he's Jamie so Foxx nails it. Yeah. Oh, that was I, JD forgot his his uh, shotgun. Yes. That's yes. Why told, that's why he said. That's why he said not groovy, man. Not groovy. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, I, what's the context for that quote? I kind of forgot for a moment, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I just. I mean, I want to speak to you know. The, the, you mentioned the music. I, I feel like. You know, there's they could have gone this way, and it's so glad they didn't, right? They go that route of it could have been all popular music, right? It could have yep. been all hip hop, it could have been all rap, it could have been all whatever. And it runs the gamut. I knew I um around the time this movie came out, I had made a mix for my cousin, and uh it had included the damned song Neat 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 on the mix that I gave him. And I remember him texting me, he's like, Hey. That song you put on my mix is in this movie Bay Driver, and he's a huge uh, movie fan too. And he loved the mix I made him. So I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what the music is in this movie. And it's across the board, right? There's so much across the board. And you know, there's there's sort of a deep cut from Queen on here too, that you know, a kid of his age, assuming the movie's set now, eh, probably a, a, a pretty pretty deep cut for for somebody of of his age. Um but everything just fits, and I'm glad they didn't go that route because I think that would have been alienated. I loved everything. I think it fit really well, and I really am considering buying the soundtrack to it because I think it's just a fun soundtrack to have nice. uh, in your back pocket because it's just good. It's just cool. I feel There's like a young it's young MC track on there. Yeah, yeah. I feel it kind of. I mean, I'm a I'm a big superhero movie guy. And uh, it makes me think about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and, and yeah, Quill's like exactly. mixtape that his mom would make for him that just has a little bit of everything. And that's, yep. I mean, it, I feel like that's what this soundtrack is. It is the mixtape I mean, that Star Lord would listen to in the 
galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> and again, to, to tie it back to myself, you know, like I can get up in the morning and listen to classic rock on the way to work at lunch. I'm walking down the street, maybe doing some, um, you know, 70s, 80s punk hardcore then i'm on the way home at night listening to americana and bluegrass so it's like you know i i just i flow with that so i totally relate to that having that different feel for things and again if i could if i was stealing ipods from people i'd probably do the same thing so the one thing i have on here that this is a perfect segue to to kind of put a bow on music in this movie which is a massive, massive element. We already mentioned, right, that music is woven into the DNA of the movie. We talked about how iPods were sent out with the scripts. and and But music plays an integral part, not only to set the tone, the mood. We've talked a lot about that. But it actually serves a practical purpose in the movie. Yeah. This movie has no traditional soundtrack. This movie has right. no score. Everything we hear, we hear for a reason. And so I think it might be interesting to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are, there are earbuds in baby's ears all the time, and we hear what he is hearing in everything. And he chooses the playlist for our experience in the movie and what he's feeling and what he's experiencing and where he's going to go and how fast he's going to drive there. Yeah. And what, you know, what he's feeling about... Um, Deborah or you know everything and I think that's so cool and to the effect that he actually goes home and takes pieces of his life and turns them into soundtracks for himself which side note who didn't think all of his music gear was so dope like right? he's got some really cool vintage gear. Right. And I was, I was like, wait, what is, oh, dang. Like that is cool too. <clears throat> yeah. He's got some stuff that I don't even know what it's called. The, the thing with the pen with the. Uh, That's exactly what it was. Me, 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 me. I was like, what is that? Yeah. It's like yeah. a little chromatic, um, I don't know, toy from the seventies or eighties or something like that. And it's, it's really cool. I loved it. I, I, it's really inviting and it, it just, is sweet to be along for the musical ride and not only just the ride in the car and having like the, the producer's choices be influencing how you're feeling and what you're seeing. It's, it's baby's choices that are like, this is, this is what I experience right now. And this is the vibe of this car ride or this, or the scene or what I got to do. And this is how his brain works, right? It just, yeah, it just reiterates totally. how his, how his being and how his brain just resonates with everything around him he hears things musically regardless of, of what is going on around him all the time yeah i mean because he's constantly exposed just to save himself from that tinnitus so it is so th this idea right of source music is through the whole film so there is no music that exists in the movie that isn't music that can be that is played by listened to or interacted to by the actors or by the characters in the movie, right? I think I think there's one. I I picked picked out one scene, and I could be wrong. Ooh. But when baby when baby comes back, and oh, was it when he comes back to the apartment and Joe isn't there, but he doesn't have earbuds in, and there's a little vamp, there's a little like pad that's happening, and he doesn't have his earbuds in, and I was like, that's non diagenic music i think Ooh. it's not a beat it's not a beat it's not a thing i mean it's so 
minuscule, but I did pick up on it the second time that I watched it. Now there are times I'm gonna have to. I want to see. There are times yes. apparently there are any moment where music isn't playing, there is a hum because There's we're supposed to hear hum. his tinnitus. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So I'm gonna. Oh, that's just a brilliant reason to watch it again because I want to well, see. I got to watch the I want to watch the ending again because I think they're playing in the climactic scene. I think Buddy plays Brighton Rock by Queen, mm-hmm. right? Yep. In, in Yeah, cuz he turns it up to 38 in the, yeah, in the yeah. police car. <laughs> but then but that's playing in the police car and we hear that after the police car is destroyed or after they leave the police car. Mm. So like it's introduced through the police car, but I think we continue to hear that even though we're not in the police car at one point. Man, I so think it, this is such a fun game. Watch Baby yeah. Driver and try to find the non-diegetic sounds or music. It just it's it, it's introduced that way, and so you're like, well, there is a character hearing this song, but it's not always the character that we are with at that moment, right? Okay, so, so it's, is this a crazy argument then? Because if baby were to be there and hear the song and we're in baby's head and the song gets into baby's head, does that mean that we can hear the song that's playing in his head? Mm. Oh my God. That's so meta. (laughs) (laughs) I feel, I feel like I've just been music inceptioned (laughs) because he's, he has such a tight, um, bond with that song yes yes i mean if anybody if of if any of us you know who are so into music hear a song that we love it kind of gets in our heads so is that the reasoning for you know hearing that song play and then the car is destroyed but baby's still hearing it i don't know dude i'll buy into that a hundred percent yeah <laughs> i gotta i want to rewatch. so i want to throw out this so we so christoph very very awesomely throughout the term diegetic. And I don't know. Is that how you say it? I always say diegetic. Diegetic? I think it's diegetic. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, I'm crushing words today. So, uh, so, so oh, diegetic. I'm out here on a big trip. <laughs> don't use my quotes against me. So diegetic music in a movie, right, is is music that is sourced from the environment itself, from the movie itself. The characters can interact with it. They can hear it. They are aware of it versus a more traditional non-diegetic soundtrack, which the audience can hear and is used to set tone, uh, bring emotion into a scene. But the characters themselves are unaware of that music playing, right? And and this idea has been it's a literary it's it started in in literature right so diegetic elements and stories a narrator tells the story of characters and such it's basically the facts of the story whereas the non diegetic elements are it's the storytelling itself right the the way the style that the narrator uses that the characters it doesn't affect the characters um so this has been translated into film another version of storytelling and and attributed to music over the years and and, uh, it's also called source music things like that you might hear it in different ways but it's not something that we see a lot of but it is something we are seeing more of in in recent years but it works so well in this movie and if for no other reason than this conversation where it's like go watch it again and see if it all actually you know lines up if they really successfully made it make practical sense in the film well and as, as we've already pointed out music is literally part 
of this movie at parts, right? It is in the scenes. It is part of the background. So it, it, you know, it's, it's more interwoven into this movie in more ways than any, you know, than, than most soundtracks, right? Like, and it's a key character point for our protagonist. He cannot exist without music, right? I mean, we have, we've glossed so much over plot points. We're assuming you've watched it and that's okay because there's so much more to talk about with this movie. But you know, so baby was in a car accident as a kid and has severe tinnitus, right? And so to drown Mm -hmm. out the ringing and the tone that he hears, he constantly listens to music. And that sets his world to music. And yep. and he him he and music are it is it's like I don't I don't even know. It's just breathing. He needs it to survive yes. in the world, or else he would just go crazy with this constant ringing. And so because of that, and because he's our lens, we cannot separate music from this movie. And we cannot mm-hmm. separate ourselves while we're on this path and on this journey with baby. Right. It's fascinating. Yep. It's so good. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. I think having that lens to to filter things through and filter that sound through because sound is such a huge part of film. You can't create a mood as good without sound as you can with sound and it's it's such an integral element to this this whole movie and it, it is such an interesting thing to always see it through the lens of baby yeah no absolutely um so the last thing i wanted to kind of offer out there is what didn't work right we have gushed over this movie what (laughs) hasn't worked here if anything i am curious to know let's start with christoph oh you're gonna you're gonna hate it (laughs) (laughs) oh those are the best feel i i didn't like doc's last scene Ooh. I, oh, I am I, fully with you on that. You and I, I agree. Thought, yeah, I just thought that he wasn't this guy that he was built up to be throughout the entire movie. And he was yeah. just, he kind of folded in this, I, I mean, in a tender way, but that's not Doc. That's not who he was. Although I do think it's hilarious that Doc would like do these like, pitch decks and stuff like that and he's like this art projects of drawing out on a whiteboard where they're gonna go and where they're going to be positioned and everything like that and it was like okay i'm not ready for my presentation not yet not yet now here's my presentation and yes so he was this kind of character that i mean kevin spacey is so creepy in so many movies and he's so dark and and like nebulous in a deep way. I usually use nebulous in a way where I'm like, I don't know who you are. You're just kind of this thing, but he's really deep in so many roles. And I didn't feel that, especially at the end when he saves baby. And then also, but his, he turns just so easily, you know, just if it's such a, like somebody else's love made him turn. Oh yeah, you knew that about you never knew that about him at all. Like you just thought he was this like pit of despair the whole time. Yeah. I mean you you knew that he he had a respect for baby 
professionally based on you know how they met but he still he's held him responsible in this debt and then some so you've never gotten the sense that he cared for him any other way than professionally he was good at doing what he was doing and there's there's just that there's you're absolutely right there's not enough there to 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 turn that over i think so uh, christoph i I'm so glad you said that because that was my <laughs> biggest, my maybe my only problem with this movie is this sudden and it, it just makes no sense for his arc to take this sudden shift. Now, yep. there, and I, I think they're valid. There are arguments to be made that um, there is, there is a, a level of care. Right. You know, he defends baby quite a bit more so than just professionally. Right. So obviously he talks about how uh, he caught baby stealing his car with all the stuff inside and he ditched it. He was out, you know, presumably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And baby has been working off this debt for years and he respects his ability to do this job. You know, he, he mentions how he's the only person that he uses multiple times in a crew which we also see that not to be the case because he brings yep. back Buddy, Darling, and Bats. I, I, what? The way I, I uh, qualified that was he doesn't use the same configuration of people. Yeah, that's, Maybe. How, that's how I understood it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. so, but again, a lot of professional things. Now, he does, I, there could be an argument made that when he, he wants Baby to come and do this job, and yes, because it benefits him, but he makes comments about like you're gonna be out of this shithole. You're gonna be you and uh uh you and your you know your foster dad are gonna you know move up to a better place and a better situation. I want to help you get better. Um, there are moments right where everyone else is beating on him and tearing baby down, and Doc comes to his side and is like he's the best. He's the guy. Blah blah blah. All of that would go out the window the second that baby's actions affect. Doc's livelihood, his safety, his his freedom, right? We see moments where Doc, for example, at the restaurant is like, I'm going to murder your girlfriend. I'm going to murder yes. your foster dad. If you don't do this job, you thought you were out. You're never out. You're my prisoner forever. Like, right? He is this total dark character who, who all the good things he says and does is all of, on the surface and and it is it means nothing the second yeah. that you take from him anything that he feels yeah. is belonging to him so for baby to totally botch this job and to uh to to expose him to cops to all this other kind of stuff and to presumably leave with the money for him to just be like oh you love her it's all good it's all okay makes zero sense especially when you knew she was in the picture and you literally just told him you were going to murder her in front of him if he didn't drive on this job like what has changed in the past two seconds honestly honestly he never should have those two characters should have never interacted again the the phone call i think was the the bow on that for me right he was like I don't know who you are. Whatever he said, he was like, "This line nope, is dead. This, this line, line is, is dead. dead." Yes, like that's it. That, that we we've that is understood. <laughs> that like you mess yeah. up, you're out. That like, we saw it with with the uh, the not groovy JD. Right? 
he got the wrong masks and forgot his gun and he was out bro he killed a guy for leaving a gun behind right he will save you for (laughs) killing the crew stealing the money bringing the cops on him that's all okay Leave a shoddy behind, you're dead. Unless you're in love. Oh, my God. (laughs) If you're in in love, then everything is all good, and I will give my life for you. Yeah. And then, like, babies, babies, like, plea to him. Like, we're all, like, you will be, uh, we will always be partners, like, in life. I really kind of thought that felt really weak, too. Um, when, when he shows up in the warehouse, like, right before Deborah comes in, and, and that there's that reveal. I, I but he calls lie. him out, right? Because he's been he's been quoting Monsters Inc. to him, and so when he <laughs> says that, Doc's like, "Yo, stop quoting Monsters Inc. to me!" <laughs> like I watch yeah. that movie all the time. No, you're right, one hundred percent for sure. And I don't know, it just like it all just kind of felt weird. The only thing that I can uh, qualify it or justify it in my head is that Doc is just this aloof weirdo. Is I mean, he's just this guy who's he's after money and. He doesn't like some people to double cross him, but or to screw up. But if you double cross him, or if, I don't know, that's. I mean, he doesn't even have to lift a finger at this point, right? He even says he's no, like, he, "Dirty cops or regular cops, you're screwed." Like he just has to like pop a bag of popcorn and sit back, and and baby's not his problem. <laughs> like, I mean, I think this movie it suffers from one or two things. So number one. I would have loved the idea, again, taking Kevin Spacey stuff out of it, but talking about the character of Doc, if in the end of this movie, you end it how it began, right? We discover the baby goes into his debt for taking something from Doc. If this movie ends with baby once again taking things from Doc and Doc like swearing revenge, that can lead us into the sequel if it was always your intention to do that. That makes sense to me. I think the other side is I feel like this movie, while pushing two hours, when I said I could watch another 30, I, I think I-, I want another 30 minutes because maybe there is just one piece of connective tissue that we're missing yeah. that got cut and maybe they just kind of forgot that the ending really required this bit of exposition or information. Something that shows us more to Doc than what we were shown because... The truth is, I mean, they made it very clear, and I thought the character was brilliant for it. You know, he, he'll love you while you're helping him, but the second you're not for any reason, he will slaughter you and everybody else that you know, and then all of a sudden, he'll die for you. Like, that made no sense. So but, I think I mean, it's the weakest part. It would have made sense if there was some backstory on Doc somewhere right. that said, like, this is this is how he grew up or how where he came from, but... You don't have that. And, yeah, is and baby the to- son you never had? We see you with a nephew, but like, give me something. I personally, and I know Frank hates this idea. I would have taken some extra minutes and and fleshed out the love story a little bit more. That to me was weak. I just did not care. I was more devastated when Buddy took baby's hearing than any threat made against. Uh, made made against Deborah. I was like, I mean, sure, fine. Something has to be loose in her head if she watches all this and she's known this guy for what a little bit of time. They're you know, like they haven't known each other that long. They went weeks. on ish ish. 
Like they went on one good date, went to the laundromat together. And she's just like, cool. You are a bank robber and you just killed some people. And I'm totally cool with that. And I'm still ready to go with you. You know, after he kind of sort of stood her up, I just, I didn't like that. I thought it was the weakest part for me. Um, and I, then because of that, I didn't like the way it ended. I would have preferred them just drive off into the sunset, maybe, or one last car chase. I just, I, I, I just didn't care enough about their love story. And I get it. It that's really what's sort of moving the story in in the direction that it does. But I just, I don't know. I, I thought it was the weakest part of the story for me. I I can get behind that too because that it seems like really first love and first love is so flowery and on the surface and stuff. And, you know, you really don't have the history with somebody and, you know, to, to be in this situation with such a dangerous person. Um, and then, you know, you it, it kind of diminishes Deborah in a big way because you really don't see her as like a full fledged like woman you know yeah and she's not she's a kid but also i think it's also a little commentary on you know women that are just hanging around for guys um in in certain ways that don't really have their own identity and Mm. um i mean she has her own identity with her music and stuff like that and and singing and it just it and and i love i do love that the two of them blend so well in music Mm -hmm. maybe maybe that's what they what the director and producers were, were were leaning on really heavy was like people love a relationship built on music because that's this beautiful magical thing and you know th- i get that and that makes sense but yeah i also and i really did feel when um uh when baby's hearing was taken away by buddy when he shot him right next to his ear i i was i was like no yeah yeah like i, I did yeah. feel more of that than then um, almost when baby got arrested at the end and wasn't going to see Deborah for five to 25 years. Like I was like, yeah, she's just going to go find somebody else. Like it's going to be right. fine. Like, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, and I feel like they could have maybe played, answered what she did for the story. They could have used the, the character of Joe a little bit in there because he tugged on my heartstrings a little bit. Like, you know, baby was always yes. like, I'm never going to let anything happen to you. I, what is their history? Right. Well, I want to know a little bit more of their story. Like, you know, he didn't have parents is Joe, his surrogate parent. And now he's taking care of him as he's gotten old and, and, and more uh, infirm. And then he just, you know, leaves him on the front porch of a nursing home with the tape that says, I'm Joe. I like peanut butter sandwiches. And I'm like, it was cute. It was funny. But like, you ditched him to take this chick away? Like, why didn't you take him with you? Like, so imagine imagine a scenario where Deborah has met Joe and sparked some relationship. And then it's her responsibility to take Joe and like get him to a safe place. I mean, that ties the thing together. And in, in it's a small, I'm not a writer or a director. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But like, <laughs> to me, if there was something there between the two of them, I would have been like, well, baby has to, he's got to be in touch with her now. Like yeah. he's otherwise she's just this, this woman that Joe has heard of and like knows that baby's excited about now and then, which, you know, as kids, how many love interests have people had when they were 20 
that they're interested in. It's, it's like monthly. You know what I mean? I was so, told it would never go anywhere. And I was like, yes, it will. And five other girls later, I'm married to somebody I didn't even know at the time. <laughs> so, but here's, okay. I agree with almost <laughs> all of what you're saying, but I disagree on some key points. And I think... I think this is one of the areas that we have to step outside of the rational world and and look at it through a a different lens, right? So, oh, okay. We have we have two characters. Who, I I agree with you completely. This is first love, right? They are yeah. They are both broken people. They've both dealt with suffering from a young age and have had to grow up differently as a result and and also as a result have not had the exposure to relationships and stuff that most of us tend to have right you know all those failures right before we get of an age where we can actually do any real damage to ourselves by ending up with someone awful that is not what i'm saying that they are i'm just saying we go through that process and break up when it doesn't matter so that we don't hopefully do that later in life Imagine if you find your Romeo and Juliet, right? I mentioned Romeo and Juliet earlier on. This is very much Mm -hmm. this kind of star-crossed lover situation. This relationship is doomed to fail from the start. Baby is a criminal. He has been a accomplice to multiple homicides, multiple grand larcenies, multiple situations, and is destined for prison or death. So from the start, there is an innocence to him, though, that we are endeared to and we follow and can relate to. And we see that play out in a very short snippet of time with his relationship with Deborah. Now, Deborah's unaware of this, right? But what she sees is someone uh, who is broken as she is, quirky and weird in the same way she is, has found solace in music the way she has. She wants to be a singer like Baby's mother. He loves music and needs it to survive, right? So that that binds them to one another. But imagine if you find your... Now, Romeo and Juliet were like 15 in Romeo and Juliet. So what happens if you find that person at 19 or 20 and you actually have the means to make horrible decisions, run off together and try to start a life, right? That's different than... You know, it's just... It's a weird, different dynamic. I think, I think the Joe situation. I didn't focus at all. I didn't see him as ditching Joe for a second. I saw him as protecting Joe in the best way he could. Again, he knows what his ending is. Why would you take Joe with you on that journey? Like, right? That doesn't make sense for sure. Right? You are then destining joe to to something awful down the road leave him safely behind as well taken care of as you possibly can because the decisions that you've made your whole life have already separated you from any love that joe could give you uh not not that's wrong but has already separated you from a life with joe right because if you bring him with you you're destining him for prison or jail or whatever it's it's kind of like you know nothing you're innocent you know, through, through not knowing this. So I didn't see him as ditching him at all. I saw him as saving Joe. He can't take Joe with him because where he's going is nowhere good. Um, now, and, and I think, I think she comes with him out of her love and loyalty. And this is where I do agree that it weakens her and lessens her as a woman, but she is younger than her years because she's had to develop differently through all these traumas and such. And so 
I think what we're seeing, I, I think it's it's a shame that she has to find her empowerment, or we assume will find her empowerment through babies, you know, her exposure to baby, to this this man. But at the same time, it kind of makes sense developmentally, right? Like this is her learning moment. Who does she become after this? I'm curious to see. And but I but I do agree with you that it's like, you know, it, it is a, she just sort of, you know, oh yes, whatever, wherever you want to go, that's where I want to go. Uh, like, right. where are you? Where's your voice? You know? Yeah, I, I I get the feeling that her stakes are just really low. You know, if she had yeah, and and you know that's what it is when you're so young and and you hate where you work and you just want to go. Um, and, but those stakes can get elevated and, and they got elevated a little bit when baby gets arrested, but I don't know. I, I, I told, I, I do agree with you that, you know, Joe was looked after, but baby is so, even with the woman that he loves the most, he's just so unapproachable. And mm-hmm. when, when the second time I watched it, when he left the napkin that said road trip at 2 AM, I was like, wait, did he invite her to go on a road trip or is he going on a road trip because he's now a driving again? Like what? It's, it's just kind of unclear oh, yeah. where, you know, yeah, I know they were talking about that, but was that like, yo, I'm going to be gone for a while or like, yo, you should come with me. Yeah, of course he's coming to get her, but it, it's still like the second time I watched it, I was like, uh, I, I kind of could take this two different ways. I don't know. Yeah. And why, what would be her reason to believe him? He, they are, that was their plan for the night before they were going to bail and then he couldn't get away. Bats and buddy caught him. So now he's saying it again is a great question. It's such a good question because it's like, well, he took her out to dinner once and they kissed in the car and she likes his look and they like music. Yeah. It's interesting. So here's a question where, since we know that a, uh, a sequel has been penned where where does this go because oh, i have no idea right i i literally have no idea i mean you sort of doc get is dead he's, he's served right. his time like what's happening yeah i know i know what it is <laughs> they have a four-year-old together and the, the baby is there when oh he, no when the baby, gets, the baby gets out of, and the the and then, yeah, I won't say any. I won't baby say any driver, baby driver two, actual babies driving. Baby driving. <laughs> All stunts are practical. Baby driver two, driving a baby. <laughs> baby driver two, pow pow power wheels. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, so I think I think we can agree though that. These are, <laughs> if we have to pick something, these are negatives. But overall, the good far outweighs the bad. For me, yeah, this is an absolute sure. must watch. It is a blast from start to finish. And it, it, I watched, I have seen it a million times. I will watch it a million more. It is so, so good. I, yeah. I, will, I will too. This is a big recommend from me. It's a fun movie. I normally don't watch uh, action stuff, like stuff with a lot of violence and guns and and shooting and i didn't think that this had that much of it um it has more than i normally would watch but i did really enjoy this movie i thought it was super fun the music is amazing um the elements there are a lot of really amazing elements so i give it yeah definitely watch it check it out 
Yeah, I we we touched on the moment that I think I was all in. It was that 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 moment when he did that U-turn over the, the the median and hit between those two red cars and did that shift in so cool. the in the sight tunnel. Like that's the that moment where you're like, oh yeah. And then just the funny moments. You know, I think the one that I forgot earlier that I really cracked me up was when you know doc was like michael meyer masks and the dude yes. shows up with austin powers he's like it is michael Myers." oh like- fun story do you want a fun fact about that yeah okay yeah. in the movie the intention was to use michael myers mask from halloween but they yeah. couldn't license the likeness and so Amazing. they called mike myers and were like look we really wanted to do this how would you feel about us using your face instead and making it this idiot's mix-up and mike myers apparently thought it was so hysterical he signed off on his wow. likeness so that's how they ended up with the austin powers masks oh, i mean it was so it was brilliant and so you know they just like we said seamless pieces right there's the music element the action element it's that meal again it's all those little pieces and everything yeah. just tastes so good at the end maybe you had a bad bite here or there but it's nothing that's gonna weigh this movie down i loved it it was so much fun uh, I, I definitely would watch this again and again uh you know when it's on i can't wait to watch it uh you know again to pick up on those elements and I really think I got to get the soundtrack because it just hits all those right grooves. I really, 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 really happy we did this one. Well, that's awesome. And I think this puts the perfect bow on this episode. Huge, huge thank you to you, Christoph, for joining us yeah. on this one. Oh, it was so much. such a blast I- to have you. Everybody, please, please, please go check out I'm Kind of a Big Deal podcast. It is fantastic anywhere you get your podcasts or just follow the links that we're going to post on our site and on IG. Um, Thank you again, dude. This was such an awesome time. We had a blast. You guys are so awesome. Your show is amazing. Um, I'm going to listen to more and more episodes because you guys have such a great vibe and you're so fun and you're knowledgeable. And this is a great podcast. So I'm, I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much, Frank and Tim. This is. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. Thanks, man. All right, guys. As always, you can follow us on our website, www.pausereviews.com, on Instagram at pausereviews, and on the Podbean app or anywhere you get your podcasts. We have links to all that stuff on the site, so feel free to go there first. Thank you so much for listening. Next week is going to be a rewind. We're making up for the one that we that we uh, gypped you guys on last week. And so we're going to re-record uh, our conversation about the listener-requested Lupin, the Netflix series yes. Lupin. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the mo- the Netflix original film, I Care A Lot. Um, and, and part of the reason we're so willing to re-have that discussion is because of such strong feelings about this, uh, about I Care A Lot that I, I can't can't stop talking about. Oh, man. Oh yeah. My terrible, horrible feelings awesome. for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and right, then I'm, tuning, I'm I'm tuning in for sure. Yes. <laughs> and uh let's see, other than that, so feel free to watch those in advance and uh but no need to. We'll just be it's our it's our traditional rewinds. We're back. We're back to our normal schedule. Until I belly bump yeah. another button. <laughs> Man, that's some strong alliteration. As always, yeah. um your boy Frank. This is Tim. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. See ya. Peace.